Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Please note that some listeners may find the content of this show upsetting. Due to the often sensitive nature of discussion, this show is not suitable for children. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. Today I'm talking to Cheryl Stepton, who runs the Cavendish School. Cavendish provides education for excluded children. Set up in 2000, the school's ethos is every day is a fresh start. Our first rule at Cavendish, and it's written all over the walls, is we uphold the law. And they know that. That's really important. And if they break the law in the school, then Mickey, our police officer, will deal with it. I'm Cheryl Stepton, and I run Cavendish School in South East London, which is a secondary school for children with special education needs who've been excluded previously from other forms of education. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where the Cavendish School started? Who set it up? Was it you? What's the What's the story yeah, of the school? I set the school up in 2000. Um, I was previously sitting on a committee for NACRO, which was the Care and Rehabilitation uh, for Offenders ch- charity. And I was visiting Brixton Prison often and finding that the stories I was hearing from the inmates were they they could pinpoint the time in their life when it actually went wrong and that their destiny was to remain in in prison and be in the the criminal justice system. The common thread was it was around anything between sort of 12, 14 years old. And, uh, you know, previously they might have had a few little skirmishes, but they knew when it actually went wrong. During my time at Brixton, there was an inspection by Sir David Ramsbottom and... uh, you know, the prison didn't come come out too well. And it was announced that 88% of the inmates uh, had been through the care system and 66% of the inmates were illiterate. So this prompted a question from me to a friend of mine who ran care homes. And I said, uh, what happens to your, you know, your kids if they're not in education? And she kind of replied, nothing, you know, some of them are out shoplifting down the road and they're just getting into minor crimes. And I thought, well, this is the story I've been hearing from the inmates. So uh, I said to her, if we set up a school, would you introduce me to the local authorities and help me uh, get that? She said, fine. She was in East London, so I was introduced to Hackney and Haringey and they provided my first 
three students, which we started in September 2000. I had three staff and three students. How old were the students? Um, the students I took on were, were a little bit older. We take 11 to 16 and these were uh, of the sort of 16 year old age because I think they were kind of the most desperate for something to, mm. to happen with them. That kind of snowballed. It took on so well. The local authority, which is Southwark, um, got involved. We were, we were sort of always mid inspections, HMI inspections before you could sort of get the final registration. But, um, authorities like Southwark and Lewisham took a punt on us really and and placed their kids with us and I don't think they've ever quite regretted that yeah and when you say they placed their kids with you Mm -hmm. what do you mean how does how does that bit work what it is it's it's a bit like a private school really because we're an independent school so we have a termly fee and the local authority have a budget for their special education needs children and they will pay us to take them per term um, just to to give them an education provision so we would only be taking and this is our choice as well we will only take the children that they cannot place in mainstream school for one reason or another normally it's because they've been excluded from several mainstreams and And does that mean also excluded from pupil referral units from pupil referral yeah from mainstreams they've gone to pupil referral units the idea of, of PIUs is that you shouldn't really spend more than a year the idea of them was that they would rehabilitate the child send them back to mainstream the reality was it was I think it was well under one percent that were going back to a mainstream school so we we would they were very oversubscribed PIUs because you've constantly got children coming through that need that extra support so we were getting them when the PRUs either could not deal with them because they were not responding to what was being offered there um, or they just come to the end of the line but the PRUs were not at that time uh, I'm not sure what they're doing now but they weren't giving a full week's education so it it was only 10 hours a week so again it was it seemed to me very difficult that you know, you're you're trying to get this child back on track, and actually, what they're doing for the rest of the time, you're not really yeah, engaging them. Three for times long the enough. devil's playground, as they say. Can you give me a snapshot of the the children? So the three kids that you took on in the early days, what kind of backgrounds are they from? What have they done? They were all in care. The first three were boys. My fourth one was a girl who wasn't actually in care, but was. Um, she had quite serious mental health issues and was. Um, adopted with very elderly parents on one hand she'd be very loving and gentle and all flowers and hearts to the next thing um, she was in the toilets with a pair of scissors trying to slit her wrists there are no typical children at, at Cavendish you know and, and that's kind of part of our ethos the other two were were gang members quite serious gang members one of them had taken over his mother's uh, flat and had all his little buddies around and and turned it into a drugs den and he was 15 and mother had just completely lost control uh, of that situation and much later on we were able to help her Mm. um, which is all again part of the the Cavendish way is you have to work with the parents as well you you can't judge the parents. So how easy do you find it to engage with the parents? It's, I mean, I've, I've always said you've got to have plan A, B, C, D and E. And if you get a, a kind of regular parent that's not interested in supporting their child in education, then 
what we would would do is, well, look how we can engage them. So it might be, oh, okay, you know, you're not supporting him. Uh, how are you getting on with filling in your forms? Are you getting all your benefits? Well, no, I can't fill them in. Bring the forms in, we'll help you do it. Uh, and we've taught them to read and write. Uh, we've done, we've got parents that are, are terrified of leaving their own home and we go and pick them up, bring them into school, uh, sit there, have a coffee, some biscuits. We've got therapy dogs in the school. They'll make a fuss of them. And that's the only time they get out. So it's, it's for sort of two hours, mm. uh, once every two weeks. And from that, you've got their support and you've got their child's support. Right. Because they're seeing that act of kindness, that act of support, and actually a little network building around them. Very much in the Cavendish ethos, it's it's like a family. It's It's very nurturing which I think is what, which is different from the PIUs and certainly different from the mainstream. Yeah. Not a criticism. They just don't have the time. And they, you know, we're very small numbers. So, so the maximum capacity at your school is? Well, we, in, a, in a classroom, we would have six in a class and there's two staff in there. So right. we've got a subject teacher and a, a support assistant. And are, and are the lessons a similar length to? Exactly the same. One okay. of the, one of the, the big things I wanted to do and, uh, one of the things I'm always championing it with their kids is they're just the same as any other kids. I want them to be on a bus and not be any different to kids from other schools on that bus. So it was very important to me. It's the, it's the same school day. It's the same. It, their timetable looks the same as a, a child at a mainstream school. We do the same exams and we follow the same school holidays and, and everything. So they wear a uniform you know, they walk on the right on the stairs. There's lots of rules and slightly slightly more rules in a way. Now, we expect those to be broken <laughs> um, and we expect them to acknowledge that they have sanctions for them. But, you know, largely these children particularly love those boundaries. And you said there's no typical child at the Cavendish School, but there must be a sort of common thread of, I guess, their upbringings, their backgrounds, or or not? Uh, not <laughs> is, is is the short answer because uh, you know people do make assumptions, and and over eighteen years of doing this, you know, all my assumptions have been shot shot down in flames because everyone is different. We've we've had children there whose uh, you know family work for NASA, and that you know incredible academic background, and and you know they. They need help and they need support and they are a special needs child. And but when you say special needs, is violence always something that's there? Something's typically? always there. There's always a trigger and it could be as straightforward as a separation, a divorce. It tends to be a lot of the, the ladies of the family have had a lot of violence, domestic violence, and I'm, and I'm including sort of sisters and siblings in that. So the mothers have not had very um, good relationships with men whether it be the fathers so we do get a lot of the boys that have a very negative view of women and that that needs to be be changed and um, we've we've done that in quite a few ways <laughs> we're quite a matriarchal school <laughs> although we are 50% male and 50% female right. um, but uh, you know there's a lot of respect amongst the, the staff and the, the children pick up on that and we also want them to to respect their parents, which is why that's when we'd bring them in and uh, make a fuss and, and, 
you know, say how much we like and respect their mother. Yeah. And, and they'll start seeing, looking at them sort of slightly differently. So it's not always the sort of stereotypical, oh, poor background from the estate, it is, violence. It, it, not necessarily. It, it is, there is a theme and there has always been something. And interestingly, uh, and I, I'll, I'll confess, I don't know why this is the case, but it is the case. If we, When we get a children's file, they're quite detailed, they're quite thick, and they begin at birth. And I would say almost 100% of children who have gone through my school have had a traumatic birth. Now, that's quite telling because when you think, well, well why? You know, I speak to friends and they haven't had, you know, traumatic births. But these children have. Now, when you look sort of further back, the it could be the parent was um, abusing alcohol or, or drugs before they got pregnant, whilst they were pregnant, or you know, even during the, the whole labour, even so, that that's a, a condition. But I think in terms of sort of how they they're living, it's it's not ideal. So they're not having a healthy pregnancy. Hence, the children are always born with trauma at birth. Now, yeah. I think that's very telling because if if that's happening when you're having a baby and that's the very first things they'll experience it's going to go downhill I think so yes they've had trauma not necessarily easily defined though and it could be children of parents that, that have been victims of domestic violence we've got a lot of children at the moment whose fathers are in prison but they rarely see them we've got a lot of uh, children whose parents are sort of known criminals that are out and they are quite well respected criminals they're police murderers, you know, there's all, all sorts. And I think in their world, that's a bit of kudos, you know, oh, yeah. my dad was a cop killer and, and things like that. And, and that's not really who these children are because we have our own police officer at the school and PC Mickey and they love him and mm. he's their go-to guy. And he actually announced he's going on to a new job in January and he announced that yesterday at an assembly and the kids were devastated. And a couple of them reacted by being sort of quite rude to him. Right. Which is their, right, you've left me. You know, a lot of people leave yeah, you're me. you're like, like everyone I hate else. Them. Yeah, yeah, you don't care about me. You've been here for 10 years and, and now you don't care about me, you're leaving. So um, we had a lot to deal with yesterday with that. But, you know, they like the police. A lot of our kids have joined the cadets, believe mm. it or not. <laughs> Um, really and and fair play to the cadets for keeping them in because some of our kids have have sort of been involved in some quite scary things and uh, not always very law-abiding but the cadets are very supportive so I imagine in your school um that success looks quite different to how maybe other schools might judge success so how where do you where do you even begin to sort of pitch it's a common question it's a very common question and uh, and normally it's asked by someone who wants to be incredibly critical um which I'm not uh, no no I know you're not (laughs) (laughs) but I've I've always said I can't say that the children are going to be successful not in my lifetime because you'll only be judged on what you've done over your lifetime. So uh, what we consider success is them turning up. So if they're in school, we might have a bad day with them, but you know, hey, what's a bad day? So success is getting them through the door. Success can be, um, you know, we we do what we call hot housing with literacy and we've got a lot of non-readers. They'll they'll turn up at sort of age 14, can't recognize their own name. And then suddenly, you know, they've reached the 200 word mark and things like that. So massively successful. Mm. Success can be they've given up smoking. 
So we, we buy them a plant and things and give them a round of applause at assembly. You know, crazy things that, you know, your mad aunt might do for you. That's what we do for them. But we have had, uh, there's two that stick really in my mind that I would say anybody would consider um, a success. And one is a boy who was with us. He was in care and his care home closed and he got shipped off to Wales for his final year 11. So we sort of lost touch with him. And it was only a couple of years ago he he found me and he said he was getting married and he said to his fiancée, I wouldn't be here without Cavendish. And she said, have you ever told them? He said, no. She said, find them, get in touch with them, tell them. And he works for the Ministry of Defence and he trains um, young soldiers with their sort of mental health and he, tra- he trains them in sort of... Um, martial arts as well for for the younger sort of cadets and he's got an amazing job an amazing life he's saying how happy he is and he said I couldn't have done that because I would have had a criminal record if I hadn't have gone to Cavendish and that would have stopped me getting a job with the MOD and you know I can't thank you enough and he said I train these young cadets uh, in martial arts and I tell every single one of them if you'd have gone to my school you know Mm. they'd have taken care of you So, you know, incredibly proud of him. Another one is a young girl. She was sectioned three times during her five years that she was with us. And a lovely girl. Um, And she has become a PCSO. So What's a PCSO? PCSO is the, um, the police officers, the community police officers. So she's gone from a, a chaotic life that you know, just didn't know what was going on with her. She had several suicide attempts that were quite often cries for help, you know, so she'd she'd jump jump off a building, but only from the first floor and and things like that, which is quite dangerous. But it was happening all the time. She was having an ambulance a night to to deal with her. Um, And she sort of came through all that, but she came, she's got three children now, and she came into school, this was a few years ago, uh, to show off her children. And we were sort of having a cup of tea and everything. And I got a piece of paper and said, right, give me give me their full names and their dates of birth. So she was doing all this. And she said, what, why are you doing this, miss? They still call you miss even when they're 30 years old. <laughs> and I said, well, I want to know when to invite um, them to come into the school. Well, she laughed and she said, um, I'm not being funny, miss. You know I love you and you know I love this school, but my kids aren't coming here. My kids are going to go to mainstream. They're going to work hard. They're going to get their exams and get a good job and they're going to behave. And for me, that is the biggest compliment we could ever Mm. receive because finally we've broken that cycle, which she'd been in for years. Her parent, her mother had been in that cycle. Her grandmother, her aunts, you know, she's had cousins killed in gang violence. And for her to realize that yeah i can stop this now and she is she's a working mum um in a very respectful job with three lovely kids so that's, amazing that's a and why is it do you think and, and maybe you know you've done this on purpose but you know lots of people don't know about the cavendish school you don't hear about these schools on radio four you don't read about these schools in the newspapers so it, do you do that on purpose are you trying to sort of fly under the radar because you obviously don't want these children to get attention but like what you're doing seems so incredible and incredibly important i think the the reason it's successful is um it is low key and it's i tell our children and all the staff tell them that they're normal you know we have high expectations 
I mean, sometimes I have to sort of, you know, pull the staff back and go, you you do know they're ADHD, you do know they're, you know, they have Asperger's and it's the, the demands on them, you know, the expectation is is as high as if it was their own children. So we we go to great lengths to tell these children that they are normal. And, you know, you wouldn't see someone in mainstream behaving like that. You know, mm. it's almost, you know, you should be trying to get back to mainstream and or let's let's stay here and enjoy this. But you need to get these grades. You need to, to um, you know, to go to university and things like that. So we try and normalise it. And I, the angle that um, we've had a lot of approaches from, from television companies wanting to do documentaries, and the angle has always been to show the kind of negative side of them mm. and... I, I've seen this happen in other schools and it's like, you know, I, I can't, you can't show my children publicly without explaining the background they've come from and explaining the things they've done um, because, you know, that's why they're there. Otherwise, what's, what's the point of us? So we deliberately have really sort of low publicity. Yeah, and I'm um, sure they'd have to consent, but I'm sure a lot of them wouldn't understand what consenting to doing no, something like that would wouldn't. mean. No. What kind of extra training and support do your staff get? Because this isn't like working, or maybe it is like working in a mainstream school. I don't know, maybe they have their days too. But do, do you give them extra training to be able to, you know, if you're a teacher and you want to move to Cavendish School, for example? Const we constantly train. We've constantly got training because all, all of our children have got a diagnosis of something. Um, I mean, even if they haven't got anything, someone will pin some sort of label to them. So we we have the sort of generalised training for that. A lot of our children have uh, trouble with speech and language. So us, through uh, Guys and Evelina Trust, they're training our staff to, to deliver that therapy. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I, I, one of my staff, I've, I spent eight years trying to convince them to come and work at Cavendish. And finally they gave in and um, have been there 10 years now. So it's about the people. And it, I like people that apply common sense. You, you, you know, you've got to have compassion but don't lower your standards. Um, you know, treat these 
kids like they're your own family, how, how you would like to be treated. And they have a they have a rough life. They you know they've they've left a lot of them have left for their Christmas break and they're thoroughly miserable, um, and they won't have a great time. And you know again, I'm not trying to criticise the families. They're going through their own problems, but they they haven't got time to worry about these kids. And and you know they need a lot of care. They need mm. to be to be nurtured. And they're not going to have it. So, they, you know, Christmas is not a great time for them. We've given them a nice Christmas, a nice Christmas send-off. At the same time, we've got rules. You know, you're misbehaving. Well, we, we, yeah. we're just still going to be as hard on you. Coming back to the parents we touched on a little earlier. So in that situation, you sort of call the mother. You sort of say, this is not okay. Mm. Like, how often do you get a breakthrough with the parents? Because I imagine they've been brought up in similar ways and they're repeating the patterns. Like, how often do you make a breakthrough with... Sort of parents like that who just uh, think regularly. It's I mean, our, our policy is that we call the parents every day. Oh, right. If the child is not in, then we'll be ringing them in the morning. And um, even if we know that they're not in, they're off sick, we'll ring and say, How are they? You know, what have they done? Have they been in bed all day? Have they done this? Have, um, you know, don't they've been watching telly all day? They... Mm. So we have a, a rapport with the parents that's it, it's almost like a friendly voice. And we try and say to the parents, When's a good time to ring you? You know, and if it's nine o'clock at night, then we ring them at nine o'clock at night. So we chat to them every day, and we try and make as much of that conversation quite quite positive and uh, you know quite good fun. So they trust us. So when you do deliver a message like that and and kind of tell them off, mm. they take it from you. Right. And it's like, well, what was I supposed to do? And I've got this problem. So then you start dealing with their problem. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, but do you need more help? Because we can contact people or we can arrange this or we can help you with that. And it, it just opens it up. So sometimes uh, what's a, what starts off as a sort of quite, quite a big issue has a really successful solution at the end of it. Mm. And how many other schools are there like the Cavendish School? Most of the council-run ones are PIUs. So it's after a PIU, where do they go? Some of our children come direct from primary school and there'll be a state primary school, but for children with special needs and, and things. So I don't really know. I mean, mm. there are a few places out there and some, yeah. some are more specialised. And one of the things people say about our children are, uh, you know oh they're good at art they're very creative those types aren't they and it's like what types what types are you talking about <laughs> yeah. no, a lot of workers are absolutely rubbish at art but really good at maths you know yeah. you can't you know you've asked me are they all from a certain background no there is something has happened there's something going on from their mm. background and from birth um they are not from a very kind of stable background that's mm. that's for certain is there is there a particular child that sticks in your mind and whilst i don't want to concentrate on the sort of negative stories you know the one thing that i was so blown away about when i first got to know you and started coming to the school was you know the stories of these children and some of the things that have happened to them you just don't ever hear about ever and considering I work in the prison service and I'm around negative stories quite a lot I was still completely blown away so is there a child whose story you could maybe tell that you know can sort of illustrate to listeners actually some of the things that go on in our country in Great Britain you know when you dig down the stories are quite horrific I remember you um, telling me once about a boy that was still in nappies aged yeah, like yeah, there was a boy, 12. he was 14. The provision wasn't out there for him. I mean, do 
do we have provision for that? I'd argue that maybe maybe we don't because and this is a, this is my point really that they they don't fall in an easy bracket. You know, you cannot say that the children at Cavendish all come from this background or they've all come come from single parent families or or whatever. Yes, it's it, that's sort of the norm. Um, and with this boy, he was a complete anomaly because he'd been allowed to listen to radio. So his, he learnt to speak through radio jingles. So he kind of sang when he spoke to you and he could tell you every advert that, that was on the radio. Um, and he, he couldn't recognise letters, but he was, he was quite intelligent. He was quite an articulate boy. And I remember him painting once and he painted something and I said, oh, Red, you must be an Arsenal supporter. And he looked at me and said, what's Red? And it... It dawned on me he didn't know colours. People say, "Don't you know? Don't you get upset by this?" And I'm saying, "No, you you are pragmatic. You you look at the the file, you look at the case, and you think, well, how am I best to deal with this? What am I going to do, uh, and how are we going to solve this?'" Mm. You know, I often get asked about the prison system and why is sort of change so hard, and why do people have the views that they have, you know, of prisoners and you know, people who've ultimately usually had very difficult lives and, yes, have gone on to do some bad things sometimes and, of course, they're paying the price for that by serving their sentence. And and I get questioned about it and I say, do you know what, after like 19 years of working in this area, the only real conclusion I can come to is because they're from the societies and the estates, they're from the poor backgrounds and maybe it is just a reflection of us as a society that we don't care about these people. And it really saddens me to say that because, of course, I care, you care, and lots of people do care. And one of the other issues is um, we earlier this year, um, I, I think I, I met you at the time, we had a boy missing who was, he was actually missing for eight weeks and a very vulnerable young boy. And he'd done amazing things with us at school. He'd done the, the fire service course. He was involved with the police cadets. He's a really good lad and we had some fantastic photos of him doing all these things. And when he went missing, the, the police put out his missing posters and it was a picture of him arrested in a custody suite. And uh, there was a, when they put this on, on Twitter, one of the comments was, why we bother looking for him? You know, he's obviously a wrong one. And there was a little thread of that. Yeah, you can tell that's, that he's in a police station. You can tell this. And I said to my uh, police officer at the school, why have they used that picture? Look what I've got. Look, look at these fantastic mm. photos. Beaming smile. You, you know, a child being a child. That's, you know, I want to see these kids being kids. Yes, they've got to, to think about their future, but God, they're children, you know. And I said, why are they using that? And he, he said, oh, it's a good point. I'll mention it to the inspector. And I sent them other photos. They didn't use them. But that's that's the judgment that people make, you know. Look, you can see that's an arrest. You know what an arrest photo looks like. It's the same background mm. all the time. So already people are going, oh, where's he gone? Bet that's gangs. Bet that's drugs. And, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a missing 14-year-old boy who's vulnerable, who's got mental health issues, who's got ADHD, needs medication. And that point, not everybody, but some people just miss that point and thought, He's a wrong one. When it comes to the behaviour of the children on a sort of 
daily basis you're dealing with you know the highs and the lows and the sort of everything in betweens but you know I imagine anger is probably a big thing you're always having to deal with and children just processing the emotions and sort of average teenagers let alone the teenagers you have so how do you sort of manage anger and do you and your teachers and your staff have a particular I don't know theory or process or protocol of how I and mean, obviously everyone's anger is very different but a whole protocol is de-escalation and it is where staff place themselves, where uh, we place the children, and it's it's all about avoiding something before it happens. And that's 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 quite hard to explain to a lot of people because you, you have no evidence that it's worked, and that is the evidence <laughs> that nothing yeah. happened. Yeah, that's the evidence, but that's not something quantifiable, you know, on papers when you're when you're talking to local authorities and. And unless you live it, you, you don't really get it. So we, our classrooms, for example, are, all the tables can, can be split up so you can have them arranged anyhow you like. And the teachers do that in advance before they, they go down to sort of teach the children. They've got a full briefing of what's going on, what happened last night. You know, parents are encouraged because we've got this constant conversation going they might ring us going, he's on his way to school and we've had a terrible row. Okay, he's going to be in a family. We'll have a little hot chocolate waiting for him. You know, we'll be extra nice. Uh, and, and so we, you know, we get sort of tipped off by a parent or carer or the care home um, that things aren't quite right or, mm. you know, there was or something happened in the care home and then they didn't get a lot of sleep. So it's arming yourself with the knowledge of what's gone before, right? Yeah. So that's what's so interesting because, you know, when we look at the prisons and some of the work that we're doing, you know, it's about trying to get people to understand that what happened before matters, Correct. whether it's in yeah. their childhood yeah. or whether it's what happened yesterday or last week. You have a row before you go off to work. It's going to affect your day. You know, you could be sitting on the tube fuming with a face like thunder. Well, the person opposite you is going to make, you know, they're not going to feel great about that. So, you know, we know that happens. So why wouldn't it happen with the children? Mm. So you know, that knowledge is power. Um, we can see things with their own eyes. So the de-escalation is crucial, and, but it's fallible. So things do go wrong. And our children uh, can be very angry, the girls as well. They like to throw things. They like to kick things and, and move tables and chairs. And we have a policy that, you know, if you break it, it's criminal damage. But, you know, Mickey will speak to you. But you have to put it right. And, and in fact, our premises manager got a Christmas card off one of the students yesterday that said to Terry, thank you for putting up with me and all my rages and for fixing everything I have broken. He was so touched, this premises manager. And he said, well, at least he knows right from wrong. And I was like, that's all we ask. Yeah. No right from wrong. And then we know we're on the right track, you know. But it can go horribly wrong. We use humour to uh, de-escalate when the, the, the anger's got there. So you'll know which person they want to see in a crisis. You know who's the object of their their sort of rant, and then someone else will come in and, and step in. We sort of overlap, so you you very gently you don't undermine your staff colleague by oh I'll deal with this. You you kind of stand by the side and and gently they'll step back and you'll step forward. There was one boy used to fly into terrible rages, and after after an incident, you can talk to them and say what would have helped you. And he sort of said, oh, if you rub my earlobes, that's quite nice. And so every time he flew into a very violent rage, we would go and rub his earlobes and he'd just completely calm down. It's like, wow. okay. Um, and that's the thing, getting them to manage their anger. We, we had um, a boy that used to want to work out on boxing pads. 
when he felt a rage and he could he could have a really vile temper. So many times he'd say to me, can I have 10 minutes on the pads? And I'd have to hold them. Well, you know, and you have to sort of keep a brave face as you've been sort of flung around the room a little bit and, you know, not say ow every two minutes. But he'd do that and he'd sincerely thank you. And that thank you meant more than anything, you know, and it's because you've solved it. And do you know what? All you had to do was stand there, stand there with these pads on your hand. That's all you had to do yeah. to, to change the course of that boy's day. But it's quite interesting that you, and this I feel is often what's lacking, you asked the mm. question, like, mm. how can I make this better yeah. for you? They, you know so they simple. don't feel good when they lose their temper or when they've broken something or punched someone. Um, and, and that's what's quite unusual with us. When there's been an incident, and you, we've had some very violent incidents, we've had cheekbones broken and noses broken and blood up the walls and things. And, uh, you know, we, we all the staff have not even defined roles. You know, some are better at keeping the other kids away and come on, let's let's go and do this. Some are better at picking all the tables and chairs up uh, and s some are, are better at calming down. And, you know, you might have one that's the real aggressor and you, you sit down with them and I'll hold their hands and, you know, they're, they're clammy, they're shaking and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about, I'm not interested in the incident. I'll find that out. We've got cameras. We can look at that anytime. But yeah. it's like, and I go, you know what, this, this is adrenaline. You know what's good for adrenaline. And we'll talk about something completely different. And that allows me to sort of say, how do you feel? Not great. Okay. So we know it's not great. We can move on from there. You know, there's going to be a sanction. There's going to be a consequence to what you've done. They know that. But do you know what? They just at that point need... A kind word, uh, okay, it's, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to suddenly put someone's cheekbone back together. Mm. It's happened. Let's move on. Let's let's try and... these And these are children. You know, they're allowed to make mistakes. And, yeah. and this is how they learn. We, we do it with the... We, the dogs we use incredibly, and we've taken on a dog that was um, abused, which the kids love, and I go, right, uh, Ted's not listening. Shall we kick him? No, why not? Because that's not how he'll learn. Oh, how will he learn? We have to be nice to him. We have to show him how to behave. And we have to reward him when he behaves like that. Oh, really? You know, so simple. They know mm. it with a dog. I said, well, why don't you do that with the other children when so-and-so when -so annoys you? Why don't you do that with him? Oh, well, he's really annoying. Oh, yeah, Ted's, I can just kick him. Ted's cute. He's not cute. <laughs> you know, and then they laugh. And humor's a great breakthrough with us. You know, we're very, we call it carry on Cavendish. You know, yeah. the staff after, we have a roundup meeting every afternoon when the kids go. And all you can hear is laughter. And sometimes it's them mimicking an incident. Uh, we have something, if there's a fight called Blue Folder, we call a Blue Folder. You know, every prisons have codes and things. Mm. And it started off in 2000. The kids weren't supposed to know what it meant. Everyone knows what it meant to the <laughs> point now that there was a fight between two members of the public outside the school and a load of kids came running and said, Miss, there's a Blue Folder going on over the road. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's become the, the known thing for, yeah. for violence. But And the kids are very good. When there's a fight or an upset, someone's upset, They'll move away, they'll move tables and chairs, they'll mimic what the, the staff do. They'll ask people next to them, are you okay, are you okay? You know, they'll check each other's okay. And and they'll just move away from it, you know, and they, they just let that person have the right, because they've been there. And they've known that at the end, you know, there's always a solution. Mm. It's, it's not the end of the world, you know. Do many of them 
end up in prison? Do you know? Yes, some, not many, not many, mm. in all fairness, not many. Um, we had one visit us two weeks ago who just came out of prison, um, you know, carrying a knife, a bit of robbery, a bit of this. I'm, I'm not trying to make light of, of the crimes, mm. but that's what it was. And he he came back and said hello. He wrote to us while he was in prison and he kept that link going. And, uh, you know, we we all saw him, gave him a hug. How are you? How are you getting on since you've been out? Have you got everything you need? Do you need us? No, I just wanted to say hello. Are you going to be good? You're not going back? No, no, miss, no, not going back. And that's all he needed. And and for me, that's if he's got if he is going to get in more trouble and go back inside, he wouldn't have bothered coming. He's reaching out to us, and we're there, and we're, we're receptive to that. And he knows we're disappointed, like a family would be. But he also knows we don't judge him. It's unconditional with us. So he's he's got that place to go. Yeah. And a lot of them have done that. They've gone and served a, a bit of time. But we we receive letters from them when they're inside, and I think that's. That's when they sit and think, oh, you know, I've, I did have a chance. And what's really important is please don't think you've blown it. The, the worst case we had was um, a, a young boy. He was uh, he was 21 and he'd had a lot of mental health issues. He, had, he was on the um, autistic spectrum and he found himself in prison for something that was ridiculous he, you know he got involved in something and he was holding a gun for someone and he interfered with a police stop and search and um they they kind of turned it back they told him to go away three times and then said well you said we're going to search you he remembered he had the gun so he pulled the gun, gun out and he shot the police officer he injured the police officer but he didn't sort of cause any serious damage and he went to court and he was very difficult in court, very rude to the judge. And the judge said to him, I'm going to put you inside in, uh, indefinitely until, you know, you come to your senses. So he said to the prison officer, what does that mean? He said, you're going away and never coming out. And that night he wrote a letter to the police officer he'd shot saying sorry. And he hung himself. And because he didn't realise, because he, he was just one of these kids that just he didn't understand things he needed an appropriate adult really to explain it but he wasn't entitled to one and that was tragic that that was a very I was very fond of that boy a lot of the staff were very fond of him and you know very funny humorous boy and wanted to join the army but a waste of a life, a waste, a complete waste, because he just didn't understand it. And that's like, if you, you know, if you do make a mistake, if you do go to prison, you know, tell us, tell us and, and keep in touch. Mm. And we'll tell you if, if it had just, you know, thought I'll ask them at school, you know, I'll ask my teachers, then we could have gone, no, what that means is what you needed to do is this, and, you know, mm. poor advice legally, uh, you know, people not understanding uh, you know his his mental abilities, and um, it, it led to his death. But you remain unbelievably, and sometimes I find alarmingly optimistic and positive all the time. You always have a big smile on your face, probably because you love what you do. But what sort of keeps you so sort of buoyant? People say I couldn't do what you do, and I was like, well, you are missing out because you know there's a child in all of us, and I get to to spend most of my days with um, children. And we have a lot of fun. You know, you can be 
childish you, you have all the childish fun and you just it's fun and I say to the kids we go on outings you know and you you can oh I don't want to sit next to him I don't want I said look we only have one rule on this outing we all have to have fun you know and the kids might say I can do that and it's like no 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 I have to have fun too <laughs> yeah, so if exactly. you're misbehaving I'm not having fun yeah. I said in the moment one of us says we're not having fun we all go back and they they will think about it and they work so hard that we all end up having fun and go, do you know what? We had fun. And it's great. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, there are real positives from it. And sometimes they're very small and sometimes they, they are massive. Sometimes they're letters you receive. It, uh, most of our kids come back and visit us. Um, you know, they contact me on social media and they'll come and want to show you their new car, their new baby, their, you know, the job they're doing. Uh, and equally, I, I really appreciate when they come back when things are not going well because we'll help them. Mm. We'll help them with that. You know, we'll fill in forms and we'll we'll do things. I, yeah, I remember a boy, really sweet boy, and he moved into his own uh, place when he was 16. And I helped him put all his files in order and, you know, he wasn't terribly bright, so things could have gone horribly wrong. And well, we had it all all put nicely and he had a really good job and he was he works works for Tesco's and he's he gets shares and he's you know he was asking me to explain his pay slip anyway a few months he'd been there he came back and said um I've got to go to court and I said well you know what's happened he said uh, I've got this and it was a summons to court and I said well what's what's this for have you had any things in the past no nothing I said so this has come out of nowhere it was for a tv license I said, so out of nowhere, there's someone you need to call. I'm not having that. He said, no, there's been nothing. So I went to his flat and, and I said, what's all these? These are from the TV licensing people. He said, well, they're not mine. I said, of course they're yours. And he said, no, they're not addressed to me because they were addressed to the occupier. And unfortunately, he oh. didn't know what the occupier meant and uh, hadn't oh, opened wow. them, was waiting for the occupier to come and oh, take wow. them. So we managed to sort that out quite, <sighs> quite simply. But... Um, yeah. So they do need help. <laughs> so how much do you think that children playing violent video games actually sort of plays out in real life? And does it differentiate between the boys and the girls? I think we've always had a thing at the school that we don't like the, the video games. So Grand Theft Auto is a, is a case in point because um, I think a lot of parents didn't realise what it was all about. I think that's that's the first thing. If you, if your child's playing video games, what are they playing? What's the content? And uh, we had to sort of educate a lot of the parents on what what the game was all about. What is the game all about? It's um, <laughs> I think you earn points by stealing cars, violence. There is a rape scene in there. That, oh wow! You, know, you get points for that. And so, <sighs> yeah, and I, I think that sort of shocked a lot of the the, the parents. So the jury's out with the video games because I think there's so much violence in general around us so if you hear uh, your parent or a carer or just people out on the street having a violent row you know the the language we use towards each other you know any, anyone who's ever sort of got behind the wheel of a car you things you say in a car to fellow drivers you wouldn't dare say if, if the you know the door was opened and I think they see that, they, and I think that's really important that we, as a society, don't let children see that kind of 
bad behaviour. I, I think it's more than video games. I can't I can't put the blame there, but you have to be aware of what your child's looking at. Yeah, well, Cheryl, it's always it's always depressing yet incredibly inspiring <laughs> talking to you. Um, so thank you for coming along You're and sharing welcome. your wise words and your wisdom and actually fundamentally the amazing work that you do and that incredible school and the children are so lucky to have you and your staff so thanks thanks for coming along thank you very much thank you for listening to this episode of justice if you found it interesting you can discover more about the work we do within the justice system by visiting our website onesmallthing.org.uk one Small Thing is a charitable organisation striving for positive change in the justice system. If you would like to subscribe to Justice, you can do so via your usual podcast platform. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.